So your customer says, I want to think about it. And they really do. The question is, is that in their best interest? We're going to get into that subject on today's episode of The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, and this is the podcast where we try and crawl around inside the head of our customer, figure out what they are thinking and what makes them tick. And today we're going to look at this really interesting topic, this topic that comes up on a regular basis for virtually every salesperson who has ever sold anything. What do you do when the customer says, I want to think about it. And when they say, I want to think about that, uh, I want to think about it, is that really in their best interest for them to do so? We're going to look at creating urgency on today's episode, joined as always by our show producer, Paul Murphy. Hey, Murph, um, let me just give you a scenario here, okay? You're thinking about going to a concert. Now, you live in Colorado there, just south of Denver, and and you got Red Rocks. And, oh, yeah. and so there's somebody coming to town and... Uh, First of all, who do you want to see? This is our hypothetical situation, so you can see anybody you want. Who, who do you want to see at uh, Red Rocks? Let's go see the Dave Matthews Band. Okay, so the Dave Matthews Band is coming to Red Rocks, and uh, they announce the tickets, and you, and you go online. Now you're on Ticketmaster, and you can see those tickets, and it's about the 15th row. It's it's dead center, and, and they're pricey. It's more than you want to spend, but, man, you really, really want these tickets. And so you click on those tickets. You click on those seats. Now, here's the question. What pops up on the website as soon as you claim those seats? Uh, more, more than I can afford, but I'll usually a little a little timer clock up in the corner that's saying you've got uh, like five minutes to buy these tickets. Yes. And it's a timer clock, right? So it's counting down uh, while you're getting your credit card information into it, right? You, you can see where, where it's going. Right. Well, that's what stresses me out. Well, exactly. But <laughs> but here's the deal. If you've decided you really wanted those tickets, I don't care. I want those tickets. Can you even put your credit card information in fast enough? Well, well, that's the stress is I'm trying to put it in as fast as I can because I don't want to lose out before the timer goes out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's an interesting way of looking at urgency. And what's interesting about that is that when we think about that countdown clock in that case, uh, that countdown clock is is counting backwards, right? We're looking at it and we, we don't want to miss out on that. Uh, but it's more than just how long does it take to put in your credit card information, right? We might look at it and say, well, you know, we want to be fair to other people who may want those seats. And so they're going to give us five minutes, which is a reasonable amount of time to buy my credit card information. But if I don't do it by then, well, the seats should go to somebody who wants them. So I get it. I understand. But is there more at play here? Because what's happening in those five minutes? What's happening in your brain? What we're talking about here is a really, really interesting phenomenon that we at Shore Consulting refer to as circumstantial urgency. When we think about urgency, there are really two distinct types of urgency. There's personal urgency. It's why I am shopping in the first place. What is my problem? What needs to be solved? What gets me into that mind space? And it speaks to our motivation and our need and our dissatisfaction. But then there is circumstantial urgency, and that speaks to what we miss out on if we don't move forward today. 
And that's the idea with that countdown clock. It speaks to what we miss out on if we don't move forward today. And so we're going to dive into that with today's guest. Now, it's always a special treat for us here on The Buyer's Mind to bring in one of our own. Uh, at Shore Consulting, we've got a couple of people that are just nails when it comes to understanding the sales process inside out. Not only that, but they're interesting, they're fun, and uh, we just love having them on. So today, we're bringing in one of our senior consultants at Shore Consulting. Please welcome to The Buyer's Mind once again, Amy O'Connor. Amy, how are you? Hey, Jeff. Doing good. How are you? Good, good. Where, where, what part of the world are you in today, my friend? I am in beautiful Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Ah, okay. Uh, and uh, you can be jealous for me, Amy, because I am in beautiful Newcastle, California in my home studio. So <laughs> there, there you go. One of us gets to sleep in their own bed tonight and it's not you. Sorry about that. And the other one uh, gets to sleep in a courtyard Marriott. Yes, yes, yes. Well, welcome <laughs> to the glamour life of the road warrior. That's about right. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, uh, before we get into our topic, Amy, what are some of those traveling pet peeves uh, that you look at and you go, you know what, it, when, when I'm ready to hang it up, it won't be because of working with clients. It'll be because of this. What is it? Flight delays. Oh, yeah. the flight delays, because, you know, you can already manage the difficult schedule and this and that. But when it, you're sitting in the airport for the extra hour or two hours or four hours, uh, yeah, it'll be the flight delays that'll get me at some point. Yeah, right. And then that that flight delay is inevitably, it's not on the second leg of the trip. It's on the first leg when there's a connecting flight that you absolutely cannot miss. And not only do you get delayed there on that first leg sitting in the airport, but the whole time you're on the plane wondering if you're actually going to make it to your next destination and make your connection, right? Yes, absolutely. The joys of travel. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, what are you going to do? You pick up one end of the stick, you pick up the other. If we're going to do what we love to do this much, it's one of the things you're going to have to deal with. So, Amy, we're talking about uh, urgency. And, uh, you know, when we think about specifically about circumstantial urgency, I want to get into that conversation with you because I know you talk about this all the time. Of course, at Shore Consulting, we speak of two different types of urgency, personal and circumstantial. And I want to talk more about circumstantial today. But starting with personal, just real quick, we do know that this is the more important type of urgency. Tell us why that is the case. It is. It's the more powerful one for sure, because it is personal, uh, because it is unique to them. It's what we have to find out first. It's, it's the whole reason they're in front of us. If there was no personal urgency, then there certainly isn't going to be any circumstantial urgency because there's no need for the product or service. So that personal urgency, or, or we you know, look at that as dissatisfaction and future promise, those are the buyer's motivators. They are what have propelled them out of their lazy boy chair and have put them in front of a salesperson. And if we don't know that first, getting to circumstantial urgency is, is really ineffective. Right. And we define that circumstantial urgency as what you're going to miss out on if you don't move forward today. But again, if I don't have any personal urgency, if there's nothing wrong with my life, like you could look and you can say, hey, you know what? Here it is. 50% off this new, you know, whatever it is, this set of golf clubs, 50% off. But you got to buy it today. Yeah. Except for one thing. 
I don't need new golf clubs because I don't golf. So, yeah, <laughs> right. you know, we can talk about how great our special is all day long, but in the absence of personal urgency, it, it it's not special. At least it's not to me. Exactly. It's meaningless. Uh, so having established that personal urgency then, and by the way, we know there is personal urgency because uh, they showed up, right? They're there in the first place, meaning something is wrong. Something in their life needs to be solved. Now we talk about circumstantial urgency, which is really what we miss out on if we don't move forward today. Uh, give us some examples of what circumstantial urgency might look like. Well, circumstantial urgency, um, you know, the buyer's trying to decide, should I buy now or should I wait? And, and there always is this conflict. And, and we have to understand that even if they don't bring it up, the buyer's thinking, well, I could buy today or maybe I should wait till after the holidays or, oh, it'd be really nice to have that that service now, but maybe I should wait until that, uh, till that uh, raise comes through or my bonus comes through. You know, so they're always playing this out in their mind. Should I buy now and should I wait? Mm-hmm. And a great salesperson proactively helps them answer that question. Because if we leave the buyer to struggle with it on their own, this is where we see them get frozen sometimes in their decision making. They leave and all we simply had to do with help them understand why buying now is in their best interest. I think far too often we see circumstantial urgency used incorrectly, or it's almost gotten a bad rap, if you will, in sales, because some of the old manipulation tactics that were used, and they were called circumstantial urgency. You know, I have another buyer interested in this, or it's my last one, but you know, you actually have 50 in the back. It just happens to be your last one out. That is the inappropriate use, if you will, of circumstantial urgency. It's about trapping or manipulating the buyer. But when we think about whether or not what we're selling is a benefit to the buyer, and we truly deeply believe that it will improve their lives in some way, then showing them the circumstantial urgency about why they should buy now and helping them through that cognitively is our job. And quite frankly, when we don't do that and we yield, it's kind of just selfish. You know, it's interesting when you were talking about the idea that it's uh, sometimes abused, uh, and I think it is sometimes abused, but, you know, in my mind, I was thinking about the scene from the movie True Lies, and Bill Paxson is the used car salesman, and he's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in the car, and they're going for a test drive, and he's like, yeah, I've got somebody else on the line, but hey, I like your style. And we have that sort of icky factor when we think about the way circumstantial urgency is used. And oftentimes because it's just a flat out lie. And even if it was telling the truth, it's been overused so often that that oftentimes I think we just kind of as a buyer, we just kind of go, yeah, right. Sure you do. Yeah. Yeah. You remember the old line, you know, it kind of starts off. I mean, I actually even see this placard on salespeople's desks sometimes, and it just makes me cringe. I'm going to mess it up a little bit. It's a little complicated for me, but it's some version of the thing that you're looking at. Somebody else looked at yesterday, thought about last night, and that their cousin, sister, brother is going to come back tomorrow. There's some sort of complex situation here where other people have looked at it and they're going to come back and buy and it's not going to be here for you. Yeah. And again, I think that that goes back to that icky feeling with buyers thinking that the salesperson is just making this up to get the sale. Now, having said that, Amy, I, I can remember uh, way back in the day and I was selling homes and uh, I, I had this uh, couple on a Saturday morning and they show up first time buyers 
Really, really nice couple. And uh, they're practically waltzing, skipping on their way up to my office door. And they come in and they're so excited because they want to purchase lot 42. And they had been there. They had seen home site number 42 on Thursday. She wanted to pull the trigger. He didn't. You know where this story is going, right, Amy? Heartbreaking. Yeah, let's see the end. So, so yeah, they're sure enough. They're like, we're here. We want to buy a homestead 42. And I had to break the bad news and we sold it yesterday. And mm-hmm. I remember this couple so mm-hmm. well because she did two things. She cried and then she mm-hmm. hit him in the shoulder. I mean, she just reached back <laughs> and just like, I told you we should have. And I'm looking at this guy like, dude, I hope your sofa is comfortable because you're going to be on it for a long, long time. And now yeah. when I look at that point, you know, they bought a different location and it worked out. But Amy, I had to look at it myself and go, wow, was that on me? Did I give them some sense when they left on Thursday Mm -hmm. to, quote, think about it, that, uh, you know, it was okay, that it was safe? Was that any on me? That that has always kind of haunted me to this day. And I think that that's one of the concerns that we have is that if we're not careful here, we give people that false sense of security that it doesn't matter if you buy today or tomorrow or next week. And the next thing you know, what they really want isn't even available. I think you're exactly right. And what's interesting is they probably blamed you for, for losing yeah, um, out on that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. They, well, they made him right. They usually, yeah, they usually don't go, well, that was on me. Um, they, yeah. they typically are upset with the salesperson because in, in your writing, your thinking pattern, they're questioning yourself to say, well, did I give them a false sense of safety? And that's what I see oftentimes when I'm coaching salespeople. I think they're so afraid to be this aggressive, manipulative, pushy salesperson that they overcorrect, they say nothing about the risk that the buyer is taking by leaving and thinking mm-hmm. about it. And, and that overcorrection really falls into yielding and it's on the part of the salesperson because that makes me feel better about me. And then, you know, we look at that and we talk about really, but that's a form of selfishness. So there is this balance between being truthful in sales, but still using circumstantial urgency appropriately. Before mm-hmm. the buyer leaves, helping them understand what they are putting at risk, doing it genuinely from the heart that you believe that what you have will improve their lives. And they have to be clear of the risk they are taking when they leave, that there is the real possibility that this will not be there when they get back. And, you know, a really interesting way to do this is actually to sell, I call it telling circumstantial urgency stories. Because if I just say it as a salesperson, well, it might not be here when you get back. That doesn't feel very good to a buyer. But -hmm. going back to your story, Jeff, if a salesperson, because if you've been in sales for any amount of time, some version of that story has probably happened to you. Mm -hmm. And if you can go back and remember the details, and then before that buyer leaves, give them the circumstantial urgency through a story. Hey, listen, you know, just right before you leave here, I I know you want to think about it. I respect that. It's a big decision. I want you to be comfortable with it. But if you don't mind, let me tell you a really quick story about something that happened. And, you know, I just want you to be aware of what you're putting at risk here. Let let me just tell you about, you know, Bob and Carol. Mm -hmm. And telling Mm -hmm. that story and say, listen, I I don't know if this is going to happen to you, but it happened to Bob and Carol and it was awful. And I never want to be in that position again. So I just want everybody to be really clear here of what you're risking when you leave. And I think sometimes telling it through a story where the buyer can sort of put themselves in that other person's shoes and imagine how they would feel, that can sometimes feel a little bit better as a way to do um, circumstantial urgency.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I I remember I especially after that one episode, I sort of changed my presentation, and I I used to preface it this way. I, listen, let, let me just tell you about the worst part of my job, <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. when somebody absolutely falls in love, then comes back later, and they can't get what they want. They can't get mm-hmm. the product they want. They can't get the terms they want. And I'm just telling you, it's the worst part of my job when I have to break that news. And so, if you know it's right today, you should buy it today. Is this is what I can protect. This is what I can give you today. But this is what makes it interesting. And that's why I want to take a turn on this conversation here, Amy, because um, when we have this common phrase that comes up, virtually every salesperson who's been on the job for more than about 14 minutes, uh, they've heard somebody say, I, I want to think about it. Right. We, we want to think about it. And we will get back to you. And I was reading this recently, one of our favorites, Robert Cialdini. I was reading this uh, recently, something that Robert Cialdini had written about this concept and the idea that the most powerful deadline of all time is now. It's right now. The most powerful Mm -hmm. deadline is right now, because when we are are in a situation where I have to decide something right now versus I want to think about it. And the interesting dichotomy there, or sometimes the conflict in our customer's mind, is that right now sounds like a hard decision to make, but in reality, I want to think about it is a harder decision for them to make. Why is that the case, Amy? Well, now is knowable. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, now I know all the facts in front of me. I know what the price is. I know what the time frame is. I know what I'm getting. It's all laid out here in front of me. But the future is full of unknowns. What happens to the price when I walk out? What happens to availability when I walk out? And then I have to go through all of those types of things as a buyer you know, I'm having to process that. And then, of course, I'm having to process what does my life look like going forward when, again, the now I know what those variables are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, really strong. That idea that the now is knowable, I think that's absolutely right. And because it's knowable, now what I can do is I can make that decision with a deadline of right now much easier because we look, we all know, we talk about this on the buyer's mind all the time, that when we're making a purchase decision, that decision is dominated by the emotion, right? It's dominated by the emotional part of our brain. And so the longer that I take to deliberate on something, the more my head gets wrapped around the logical answer. I'm trying to blend a lot of logic, a lot of emotion at the same time. And then the longer I wait, of course, the more detached or unmoored I get from that initial emotional impulse, pretty soon I can't make a decision at all. So I'm concerned that the longer somebody says, I think you're absolutely right, that the now is knowable. I'm also concerned that the longer they wait, the more deliberation they're going to have. And I think, Amy, you and I see it even when we look at the difference between those people I don't know if you and I have had this conversation, but I know for me, I'm an impulse buyer. If I see something, I buy it. That's it. I've got better things to do with my life. But we have other people like my wife, Karen, who, you know, they need to shop for everything. They need to look at every single option before they're going to make a decision. Which one are you? Where where do you fall on that? <laughs> oh, I'm sure you're not surprised by this. Uh, I'm an impulse buyer all day long. Yeah. Uh, my husband will tell you much to his dismay because he's, you know, the Excel spreadsheet guy. You know, yeah. like uh, a couple of years ago, I, I found a thoroughbred and you guys, well, we can't buy a thoroughbred. 
we don't have a horse trailer. And I'm like, <laughs> stand back. I'll buy the horse trailer too. Right. Like there's solution. <laughs> right. These Hold my beer. Yeah, yeah. 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 It is. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, like, it always baffles me when you go to the store and you're like, you have this, uh, you know, in, in this size and they go, no, but we can order it for you. I'm like, no, thanks. I won't want it right. in two days. But yes. like, if I can't buy it right now, I don't want it anymore. But here's what's really interesting about this. And we we had uh, Barry Schwartz, who wrote The Paradox of Choice on the podcast uh, several months back. And one of the things that he said about that interesting situation is, is that, you know, when, of course, the paradox of choice being that when we ask people what they want, they will say they want a lot of choice. Then we give them a lot mm-hmm. of choice and their brain explodes. They don't know how to handle it. Right. But one of the things yeah. that he points out is that those people like you and me who are like, I've got the boxes that need to be checked. And once I check enough boxes, I'll just buy that item and move on because I have other things to do with my life. Versus those people like Rich for you or Karen for me who want to go through and uh, just just look at all the different options out there. And they would justify that by saying, I want what I want and I want it right. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. who is more satisfied with their choices? It's you and me. Those people who mm-hmm. take the shorter period of time have a much higher rate of satisfaction on their decisions because those who are trying to maximize are constantly second guessing. They're they're yeah. using so much of their logic that they get moved away from the emotion. And so for you and I, not only do we want to buy something quickly, but we feel better about it because our emotion yeah. was fully gauged. Of course, you know, the maximizers are going to look at it and say we're fools, but so be it. <laughs> you know, you're, totally you're missing true. out. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's no mistake that we're married to our opposites. That, that's yes. the, that's how it works. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. Yeah. And frankly, it would probably drive me crazy if Karen and I were both uh, um, impulse buyers. But from that perspective, I find it really, really interesting when somebody says, I want to think about it. Now, this whole conversation sort of sets that very phrase on its ear because then I ask, well, is thinking about it always in your best interest? All right. When you think about the deliberation you're going to need to go through, is it really in your best interest? But there's something else here, too. And that is that, again, even for people like uh, who are maximizers like Karen, uh, if she sees something that she just absolutely loves, she doesn't need to go around and shop all day. Right. When she mm-hmm. sees something that she really loves, she can't still make the impulse decision but only when the emotion is that strong. And that's my concern is that the person who says, I want to think about it is Uh also saying that I am not emotionally vested enough in this product to pull the, the pull the lever and make the decision today. Yes. Yeah. I would absolutely agree with that. We just bought rich a new suit over the weekend. Um, We had a funeral to go to. He puts on his old suit and it it looked like he was MC Hammer. And I was like, when when did we buy those pants? Like, why are they like, what's happening in the front? And it was embarrassing. And he actually even recognized it. And that's a lot to say for him because he doesn't have fashion awareness. So, you know, so we found her. Well, and he lives, he, he lives on a farm for crying out loud. That's he's true. That. I mean, how many times do the donkeys care if he's in a suit? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we had some extreme dissatisfaction here through embarrassment. Embarrassment is a very strong motivator. Uh, we yeah. find ourselves uh, in Nordstrom over the weekend. There's some urgency here. We're going to New York. We're going to a Broadway play for the very first time ever and taking the kids. And he wanted a nice new suit. And, you know, normally you'd have to think about it and compare suits and we'd have to go around, but he didn't. He got a great salesperson. 
the salesperson was able to ask a couple really directed questions. He put them in the dressing room, gave them a few suits, and we walked out of there probably 20 minutes later uh, mm-hmm. with a new suit. And, and so, he feels you know, good about those, it. He feels good about it. And you're yeah. right that even a maximizer, when their emotion is high enough, oftentimes propelled by a salesperson, sure. um, then they are able to make that. And he feels great about it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. There's one other thing here about, I want to think about it that I I want to address. And that is that, you know, when we think about circumstantial urgency, it is largely based on the idea of scarcity, that something could go away if I don't move forward on this right now. And that idea of scarcity is something that marketers have used in a widespread way for a, a long period of time. But there is that idea of why scarcity works. And, you know, Daniel Kahneman uh, points out that our fear of losing something is greater than our hope of gaining something. So we are motivated by that fear of missing out. It's now a hashtag, of course. We got the, the FOMO going <laughs> on. But but it's not just the idea that we're going to miss out. There's a deeper level, as I was studying this uh, more thoroughly recently, there's a deeper level that it's not just I'm going to miss out on that item. It's that I'm going to miss out on my choice on that item. That is that our freedom to choose what we want to buy, that freedom is so important to us that if you put that countdown clock and you say your decision Mm -hmm. must be made right now, it's not just that I'm going to lose out on those tickets, as Murph was talking about earlier, I'm going to lose out on the option to buy those tickets. And that is equally powerful. Does that resonate with you, Amy? Yeah, that loss of freedom that to choose, like you said, is, is huge. And, you know, I think that actually Don, um, Daniel Kahneman says that we feel it twice as much. I mean, it's not just a little bit more, but we feel the loss of something twice as much as we feel the gain of something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's I think you're spot on with that. I'm just starting to think more and more that that we, as you, you mentioned, the yielding tendency for salespeople who give in to their desire for comfort. I don't want to pressure somebody. So when they say we want to think about it, it's like, yeah, go ahead. I'll be here next week off on Tuesday and Wednesday. Don't show up then. You know, if that's the message that we're giving to our customer, then we're really causing them to be able to step away without any sense of risk of loss. And of course, Mm -hmm. putting them in jeopardy along those lines. But my sense is that if a customer leaves, you know, whistling and smiling and saying, so we're going to go for dinner tonight. I don't think we've done our job right. Right. I'm I'm not suggesting that I want to put pressure on them, but I want to put themselves in the situation where they recognize there is one right thing for them. And when they walk away from that right thing, that there is risk. That's sort of the flip side of we want to think about it. And I, I think when we hear that phrase, I need to think about it from the buyer, we need to flip it in our head to actually hear, I need help. If they're saying I need to think about it, that means there's something that still isn't connecting for them. They don't have enough emotion or they don't have enough of this information, whatever it is, what they are telling you is they are incomplete in some way and what they need to make a purchase decision, which means that there has been a gap somewhere in our selling process. And so it's critically important that before that buyer leave, we understand what they need to think about because there's, that's really the only way that we can help them. And if it's mm-hmm. coming from that genuine place of truly wanting to help the buyer, then it doesn't come off as sleazy or manipulative. It comes off as, I want the best for you and, yeah. and I need to help you think through this while you're in front of me. Yeah, but, but that very well might be there's, there's something missing 
it very well might be that emotion because like we have a, a new arena in uh, downtown Sacramento and the opening act for the arena was Paul McCartney. And I'm like, the wow. guy's a living wow. legend. You're not going to get the chance mm-hmm. to see Paul McCartney very often. And so I went online, I looked at the tickets, the tickets were ghastly expensive, but sure enough, the countdown clock goes uh, as soon as I held the tickets. Well, it, Look, in that five minutes, I wasn't thinking about it. It was like what Murph was talking about earlier. I was entering my credit card information as quickly as I could. Why? Because emotionally, I was invested in this. It was one of the things that I simply did not want to miss out on on a personal level. It had nothing to do with the finances. And I think if we can really focus in on that and stay with that emotional side, it makes all the difference in the world. I know this is something that you you preach and teach a lot. That connection to the emotion is the driving force for why we do what we do anyway. It is. And that's why when we hear that phrase back, I need to think about it. This this has to be an emotional approach back to this, which is why we always want to start with empathy back to that. Of course mm-hmm. you do. It's a big decision. There's a lot to think about here. You know, let's go back over some of this together and, and see what's still what's still causing you some concern here. And you are looking for that lack of emotion. Where have we missed out on that? All right. There you have it. Uh, the great Amy O'Connor with uh, her now famous line. And now is knowable. That'll be a Jeff Shore original <laughs> by next Tuesday at this time. I'm stealing that one there. Uh, really, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's TM that bad boy. Uh, Amy, always, always great catching up. Great having you on the bike. Is mine. Thanks, Jeff. So Murph, uh, obviously at Shore Consulting, we sure love Amy, and for a lot of reasons, she's just so strong on this stuff. And did that make sense to you? That did the the whole conversation about circumstantial urgency and the difference between circumstantial and personal? Yeah, no, it makes absolute sense. Uh, and I think we've all been in that situation where you have to make a decision, and uh, you know mm-hmm. whether it's a timer on a uh, web screen or it's a uh, a car that you want to buy. You, you've, at some point, you've got to figure it out. But here's the thing. You, you, uh, you are more of a deliberator than I am, right? Is that a fair statement, Murph? That's a fair statement. Okay. So for me, when I do deliberate over something where I'm really spending some time because I'm just not sure, usually that's a sign to me that I don't want it, that I shouldn't move forward. If I have to think about something for too long, I just simply stop thinking about it. And it's usually because my emotion is not engaged. Do you ever get to that point? There is that difficulty when you, like you said, your emotion's not engaged and all of a sudden you can get that cool off, but it depends on, uh, you know, just how much you're thinking about it. If you continue to think about it, and that's usually something I do, I'm going to move back into the sale. Well, listen, I I just want to encourage all of our listeners here to look at it from that perspective that we want to think about it is a very common thing. I know you've all heard it before, but you have to ask yourself the question, is that in my customer's best interest? Or forget whether you want the sale right now. Set that aside. The question is, is that in my customer's best interest? Because the more they deliberate, the more difficult it is for them. You heard what Amy said. We want to think about it means that there is something out there that has not been handled, that has not been developed. And we have to be in that position where we can help our customer to do that which is in their best interest by simply letting them say, yeah, go ahead, take all the time you need. I'm sorry. That is not in their best interest. We also heard Amy say that now is knowable. We know what's going on right now. But what happens when I leave? What happens to price and availability and even what happens to my life? And so if we know that it's the best thing for our customer now, then we have it in us. It is a responsibility to make it easy for them to make that purchase decision 
right now. There you go. Great words from uh, Amy O'Connor. And I hope that's helpful for you the next time you hear your customer say, I want to think about it. That wraps another episode for The Buyer's Mind. Remember, if your organization is looking for a keynote speaker, if you've got a sales conference coming up, you want to talk about what's going on in the buyer's mind, the way that customer makes purchase decisions, or if you want to talk about boldness and how to live the bold life, we're booking right now for the coming year for keynote speaking opportunities. Just reach out to Bevan at jeffshore.com. That's B-E-V-I-N, Bevan at jeffshore.com. We would love to work with your organization. And until next time, go out there and change someone's world. 